Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Swire football podcast. Week one preview. What is this, Matt? Part two, I guess, since we sort of did part That is correct. That's correct, mwr.com. You can find everything we're doing, previews, recaps, Q&As, podcasts, um, stat picks. And um, you made a promise to people we need to keep right now because this has to be, no joke, an hour show. We have 63 minutes to get done here. So no messing around today. But you promised the folks projections from from the other games. We're recording this Wednesday night or whatever Wednesday. So check out our, our week zero preview or recap slash week one preview for those other games. But in case you get to this before those games kick Thursday, Matt has projections for including a weird one on Friday night, Colorado State, South Dakota State, which is uh, kind of wonky. Yeah, a little bit, right? Um, yeah. So, so of course, you know, FBI typically only does FBS versus FBS. So the only game they have a projection for on either Thursday or Friday is Boise State UCF. Uh, and they do favor the Knights slightly. Right? So they favor UCF by four. Um SP Plus does account for every game. Uh, the Mountain West team is favored in – actually, no, they're favored in three of four. Um, SP Plus also favors UCF by 5.2. That's a 62% win probability. Um, New Mexico is given a 91% win probability. They're favored by 22.9. Uh, UNLV may be cutting a little bit close according to the projection. They're favored by mm-hmm. 5.4, 62% probability. Uh, Colorado State, if you mentioned a second ago – they're also favored by 8.7. That's a very nice 69% win probability. However, really quick on that game, I was filling out our staff to do a picks, and I look at the line, and usually there's no, as we mentioned last week, San Jose, Southern, Southern Utah, didn't get lines like the last seconds mm-hmm. and after we recorded. So apparently there were some books that had South Dakota State, at, I guess it opened as three points as a road favorite, which we missed because I was looking around and didn't see it. Quickly changed to currently – Wednesday afternoon, 3.14 Mountain Time. Rams are now two-and-a-half-point home favor, which is still yikes, right? That's a little dicey, yeah. Dicey is like, but seeing South Dakota State as a top three-point road favorite as an FCS team. Mm-hmm. I did link to an article. If you check, um, it's somewhere on Twitter. Like, the Action Board did some a couple years ago. There's been a handful, because you asked, like, an FCS, FBS, like, favorites. 
there's been a handful of the past couple. They're not like wins, but actually betting favorites pregame. And so yeah, yeah. It's uh, check it out if you want to find it. It's an interesting little quick read. We're wondering. But let's get to games. We have what do we have? Eight games here on Saturday. That's Lots correct. Lots of games. A lot of FCS games. So we're going to blast through those. The first game, which is going to be quite interesting, is your Fresno State. Um, I was going to say Ducks, but they're playing the Ducks. Fresno State Bulldogs going on the road to play the Ducks. Morgan top ten or top twelve team, eleventh and twelve in both polls. Whatever poll you want to go by, pick the higher ranking. It's eleven here for me. Pac twelve network. So get that FUBA link we have if you don't have Pac twelve network, which still nobody does apparently. No. It's it's an eleven a.m. local kickoff. Why is it eleven a.m.? What, what's the deal with that? That's kind of uh, a same, you know what though you know what though same same kickoff as last weekend for Fresno State. Advantage and, and I'm, and I'm guessing their I'm guessing their cleats aren't going to melt on the field up there in Eugene. I hope not. I don't know. And we'll see how many people were there. There's a tweet about because Austin is one of a handful of stadiums that's requiring what vaccination or negative COVID test mm-hmm. within three days. So there's some. Some guys just complain on Twitter, like, oh, this stadium. It's like, dude, there's still a pandemic going on. Yeah. <laughs> so not sure what the crowd will be because that's kind of a, that's a pretty big advantage in Austin Stadium, the way it's built, the way the sound comes in. I'm pretty sure it's still be a pretty sizable crowd, but as for sellout or full full go, I don't know if that's the case because people are being cautious because things aren't going extremely well at the moment in most places in the country. So that's a, that's just an interesting side note to get into this. But with this game, I didn't mention line. It's it's a huge line, 20 and a half points, but also only an over under 64. Can we just say now, Matt, the over should be blown away in this game? I think, I think it should be much higher. A lot of scoring points, a lot of points. Okay. So before I give you my answer, give me your justification for that. Ronnie Rivers, Jake Hainer is pretty good. I like for, here's the thing. Most people think Oregon's going to just shut down Fresno State. I don't think that's the case. I think Fresno State will put up enough points to where it honestly might be like, Kind of a shootout type of game. That's where I think it'll be. I think both teams can score points. Because Fresno's defense is fine. It's whatever. It's okay. Oregon's defense has always been pretty good. I remember they played Utah a couple years ago in one of their many Pac-12 title games. They've snuffed that Utah's offense, which that's not saying a ton for the most part, to be honest. But I think Fresno can break through and score enough points to get whoever wins the game. It's going to be over. It's going to be like four. Somebody's going to get to 35 points to win this game. And so that's why I think it's what, what it's going to take. I think it'll be, not to give away too much, but I think it'll be much closer than the 20-point line at the moment. Man, I don't know. Is this an UCLA pick again for me all over? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to, like, call you out on that or anything, but, like, you know, th- this Oregon defense in particular has got some guys. They do. And, and I'm not just talking about Kayvon Thibodeau either. You know, they've got Noah Sewell, who was the conference freshman of the year last year. Already, already an all American type player. Uh, you know, they got Michael Wright, who might as a sophomore be the best cornerback anywhere in the Pac 12, anywhere on the West Coast. Um, you know, Verone McKinley, June, or the third, excuse me, has you know, five interceptions and 17 career starts. He's just a sophomore. The thing about this Ducks defense is that excuse extremely young with a couple of exceptions. And so that, is, I think, is sort of where you look at this game and be like, okay, these young guys have, like, tremendous amounts of talent. Like, on paper, Oregon wins that battle pretty much everywhere on the field. But, You're not you wrong know, with that. But, but is that young talent going to be able to kind of play within itself and play disciplined? Which, you know, penalties haven't necessarily been a problem under Mario Cristobal. 
you know, the, the kind of reckless play. And they've been a very good defense. You know, they were a very good defense under Andy Avalos. Of course, they replaced him with former Fresno State head coach Tim DeRuder. So, like, he's going to know exactly what to do with all of these guys up front. And the challenge for Fresno State is to just, I think it's just to hang on enough to be able to get into a groove without necessarily falling behind. You're not wrong. Still, the offensive line is a concern. They play freaking UConn, which, again, when they played well against UConn, like I mentioned in our recap, that's fine. It's showing no glaring holes, but that's a thing to, like, can they hold against whatever pass rush they're going to bring out? Like Richard Sewell there, all the other DPs, they have all American guys out there. I just, I think what Fresno can does, they can do enough to keep it interesting. Like, and the way we're talking, neither of us are going to pick Fresno State to win this game. But I think what Fresno can do with the amount of receivers they have, with Ronnie Rivers and what Jay Kaner can do, if the offensive line can hold a little bit, they're going to make things interesting in this game. And, but again, new defensive coordinator. I know DeRuder, familiar Fresno, but not these guys anymore. It's been a while. He's at Cal recently. So he's, we know he's a good defensive coordinator. So that's a good pick. Oh, yes. picking over for, for picking up for Andy Avalos. That's going to be fine. That might be a little bit weird things here or there just because it's a new guy, but they have enough talent to not really worry about that. Mm-hmm. But I just think if the offensive line can do enough, and like I said, Fresno has a lot of different guys who can catch the ball. It's not like they're just throwing to Jalen Cropper or a Ty, Ty Jones or Ronnie Rivers every play, handoff or pass. I think the offense is unique enough to where they can make things eventually happen. Like, I don't think they're going to win. It'd be great if they could, but it comes up the offensive line stop and whoever Oregon brings up against them. And Oregon was number two in whatever you want to see last year, yards per play allowed. Past couple years, they've been top three, top four in the conference. I guess 18, a little bit average, but they've been typically top of the Pac-12 in yards per play allowed, like top three or four behind. Good defenses like Washington and Utah are usually like top 20 national offenses. They're kind of, or defenses, they're in that great margin of error, that range of being usually like a top 30 defense nationally, top maybe top 40 on like a slow, slow heater. So it's going to be a battle, but I I just, again, like all the weapons Fresno has, I mean, Jake Hayner's accurate in this game, and he's protected well enough where they make plays where he can move the pocket and pass the ball, and with Rivers' catching ability, that brings something else. So I, that's why I'm thinking I'm reasonably confident they could score some points. But there's yeah, going to be I, big Oregon plays as well where they, they sack up around. There's a, a swing pass for minus seven yards to Rivers in the backfield. Those are probably going to happen, but I, I, I think they have enough to make it at least somewhat interesting for part of the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, you know, Fresno State is going to get blown out in the way that you know, Oregon has blown out some non-conference opponents in the past. <laughs> but, yeah, but I think, you know, one thing kind of to your point that could help, which they proved they could do last week against UConn, is to spread the ball around and keep, you know, because, you know, if, if, if Cropper is lined up on right, for example, then, you know, maybe they just line up, you know, Ty Jones on the outside, on the opposite side against someone like Triquise Bridges. And then all of a sudden you've got a 6'4 wide receiver against a 6'3 retro freshman corner. That's a battle yeah. worth watching and maybe a, a battle that's a little bit easier to win. Or, you know, maybe they, you know, incorporate the tight ends a little bit more. Because, for example, you know, Juan Rodriguez, the starter, didn't have, he wasn't credited with any targets last week. Um, but, you know, you know, Raymond Powell is the other kind of primary tight end. Three targets, three catches, 20 yards, and a touchdown. So maybe they find ways to try and soften this defense underneath with you know crossing patterns, just you know getting the ball out quickly to keep you know Thibodeau and and other guys on that defensive front you know from from getting to Hainer more often than is absolutely necessary because I think if maybe there's a, a weakness anywhere that could be exploited, you know Sewell's a keeper, but maybe they want to test the other linebackers in that unit. You know Drew Mathis is stepping into a starting role for the first time I believe, and if it's not him, then it's Justin Flo who. 
you know, five-star true freshman, but he's a true freshman. And so that's a lot to be able to expect him to, to be able to handle, like, you know, force him into a lot of coverages and see how well he plays. And what did he do last year high school? How many games did he play? Did they play stuff like that? So that's also something to encourage your freshman to jump in there to start and play against, like, Fresno State's a legit team. They're not playing some, some FCS school, Northwest Oregon University or whatever. They're playing a pretty good team that's going to win probably eight games. So it's not a pushover. It's a team that's good offense. So there are, there are places where they, like you said, where they can make some noise. Um, so let's look at the offense really quick, other side of the ball. So Oregon named, what is it? I guess technically a Boston College transfer a couple years ago, Anthony Brown recently. So he's their quarterback. I don't know what to make of him as their quarterback. He is not super accurate. He's only played two games in the Pac-12 last year, only about 20, just under 25 attempts. Not super accurate. Like he barely cracked 60% or never got to 60% in BC. The 65% in two games last year is not much when you throw it 27 times. He's had a couple of knee injuries. And so that might be something maybe he played, must have played well at camp for Mario Cristobal to give him the starting job, but that's a guy I'm not, not how confident. I don't know how confident they should be in that type of guy. So I think it's important to add the appropriate context for a guy like Brown, because, you know, you mentioned you know, like his overall career numbers have been maybe slightly underwhelming for what you would consider a pack or excuse me, a power five quarterback to be, but he's improved year over year. And, you know, he was, he was good enough or showed enough promise for the Ducks last year that, you know, those, those limited number of pass attempts came during the final two games of the year, which included the Fiesta Bowl, uh, against Iowa State. Oh, and and losing to Oregon State as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just, you know, I think like, you know, he was good enough to supplant the previous starter, Tyler Shaw, who is now at Texas Tech. What, yes. And he's going to have more talent as, at his disposal than he ever did at Boston College. Because he doesn't run the ball. Even I mean, yeah, they they probably will. Like, you know, I think, you know, they see what the Fresno State defensive front did last week against UConn. They'll be like, okay, now try stopping C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye while they're being blocked by a bunch of four- and five-star guys up front. Um, yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Or, or okay, great. You know, like, you can lock up Cameron Ross, but – you know, what happens when it's, you know, Micah Pittman running free down the field on broken coverage instead of, yeah. you know, or what if it's Brown throwing that pass that isn't going to get overthrown instead of Jax or Yotis? You know, things like that. Yeah, the, 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 we mentioned last time, the trip or the miss overthrow is going to be touchdowns instead of incompletes or short pass. Yeah, so they need to bring their A game, and it's just, you know, with, with all the talent that Oregon has, I can see where they could, you know, stop them here and there but it's a lot harder to envision how they're going to do it for 60 minutes. That's a part of it, too. Depth is what we probably see, especially when we talk USC, South San Jose. It's where, like I mentioned last week, it's, it's like the thing we mentioned years ago when, was it um, Boise State played Fresno State, and they won the first, I think when they won the first title game against Fresno, was it Jeremy McNichols or running back where they're stopping, they're rotating, rotating throughout fourth quarter. He just gets all the carries, essentially, and runs them over. Yeah, we can see something like that where they have enough depth where okay, you get three plays or you get this drive no matter what as a backup to play, and then the fourth quarter they play the entire game with very few substitution limitations and they're a bit more fresh. Especially if this game is like they have a slight lead, like okay, we have a a seven point lead here, like earlier a ten point lead to Oregon's, or it's like hey, final drive of the half, you get this final drive, our starters get that break the rest of that last drive plus halftime. And whoever gets the ball, maybe maybe even a longer break, 
if the if you're de- if you're a defensive guy where your offense gets the ball. So there could be strategic substitutions which coaches think about where okay this guy might have literally a 40 minute break for rest because two minutes left in the half we're on defense halftime and we get the ball and or and so that could be something to think about and then fourth quarter they're fresh with that first couple drives in the third quarter throughout they're ready to go and so that's president doesn't have that most amount most doesn't have their number three guy or even sometimes number two guy to stack up against their number two or even number three guy at times mm-hmm. So what does the FBI say for this game? Or do you have any of the final thoughts before you kind of blast through everything else we got? No, I think I mean I think I pretty much said everything I want to. Um, so FBI favors Oregon as you might expect, but maybe not by quite as much as you might expect. You know, they favor the Ducks by just twelve point nine. Um, I like them already. Good job. Uh, SP Plus is a little rosier um, for for the Ducks. Unfortunately, they favor Oregon by twenty two, which is a ninety percent win probability. So what's your score projection here? Uh, I mean, I think the Fresno State's they're gonna they're gonna have their opportunities. I just don't know that they're gonna be able to capitalize on every single one of them. So I would take Fresno State to cover whatever the spread is. You said it was twenty and a half. Hey, wait, you took Oregon or sheet here? Do I need to adjust that? You have Oregon here. Oh my bad. Yeah, um, I'll adjust that for you. <laughs> Yeah, so because I would take Fresno State to cover, but I think Oregon's gonna end up pretty winning pretty comfortably. I have the Ducks winning forty-two to twenty-four. I think they'll be so that's basically pushing the sixty-four points there, right? Uh, yeah, forty-two. Uh, yes, 42. well, that's 60, sixty-six points altogether. I was sixty-six. I would go over. I think it'd be a touch more. I think it'd be forty-five, forty-five, thirty-four. So I think Fresno will kind of hang around a little bit, but it'll be touchdown, touchdown, stop, like fourteen-seven. 24, you know, I mean, something like that. We're 24 10. Mm-hmm. It's kind of slowly pull away. So I'll make sure to change yours for President State covers. So next thing we have Lafayette and Air Force. And one of the many FCS games we have on the schedule this weekend. And this game's on stadium. Um, it's about uh, Falcons are at home, obviously, 12 o'clock lunchtime on the mountain there. Lafayette from, what are they from? The Patriot League? Is that where they hail from? Uh, Pennsylvania. Sure. Why not? Yeah. So Air Force, one of the few teams last actually played. Early, they got that early game in last year. Um, they have all the turning backs. That's what the most interesting I want to see because, like, when you look at the returning starters in production, they're just kind of skewed a little bit compared to other schools, just mm-hmm. because I don't know exactly what's being considered for return production. Because obviously, if guys didn't play last year, like all those defenders that were pretty good, they're not there. So that's what I want to see, especially defense, where these guys who didn't play, they're going to get their starting job back. Are they going to get significant playing time, or are the new guys just going to take over? And that's most of that was defense. And playing against the SCS team, I don't know if we'll learn much because I'm betting Troy Calhoun will want to play basically anybody and everybody to get a sizable lead and just kind of cruise to a victory. That's what I kind of see how it plays out. That is typically how they approach things against the FCS squad in particular. Because, you know, because, you know, Jordan Jackson's back in the starting lineup. DeMonte Meeks is back in the starting lineup. So is Lakota Wills. Um, so they're, they're going to be kind of at full strength, especially on defense for the first time since you know, 2019. Yeah. And so I, you know, I wonder like, you know, if they're just going to be aggressive about substituting guys in and out, maybe from drive to drive or every other drive or something like that. And I wonder that because, you know, the, some of the guys who kind of showed out and, and showed a lot of promise last year, and I'm thinking particularly like other, other linebackers, like, you know, um, you know, like Jonathan Youngblood, for example, or, or Alec Mock, who's an inside linebacker as a starter. How much run are those guys going to get? Because we, we kind of know a little bit more about 
some of the veteran starters who were coming back into the fold. But I'm more interested in seeing how Calhoun and, and the rest of that coaching staff deploy the other guys who either you know are stepping into the two deep for the first time, so they might be entering a rotation, or guys who saw plenty of playing time last year and are just you know, they're either holding on to one of those role spots or they're holding on to a starting spot. Actually, regardless, it's good for them, right? Yeah. Just because whoever is going to be playing, it's going to be fine. It's going to be good for them because they all played last year, get the new guys back in. Their depth is going to be extremely good, which is why there's some legit reasons where they could maybe surprise in, in the Mountain Division, not win or anything, but maybe pull for an extra win that we think, maybe even top Wyoming or I don't know if they'll compete with Boise State, but they might be better than people think with that added depth in playing what they played last year, seven, eight games. Uh, yeah, I think so. There were what three? Well, yeah, and and it'll be it'll be nice too because you know Lafayette isn't a team that's gonna get you know go in and get pushed around like they're there's a team and and I credit you know our guy Sean for this he'll have more detail on this in his uh in his game preview which comes out tomorrow I'm recording but you know the Leopards have a, a handful of guys who are all Patriot League type caliber players you know they've got an All American type you know defensive lineman um. You know, they, I think one of the bigger questions is, you know, they're, they're I believe they're starting a transfer quarterback, and whose name escapes me, Aaron, Aaron Angelos, who transferred to Lafayette from Washington State. So, you know, how much is he going to be able to get that offense off the ground? But, you know, it's a team that has some playmakers, could make a little noise if if Air Force comes out and sleepswalk early. Like, I don't think Lafayette's going to be able to hang around for an entire four quarters, but they might be able to surprise a little bit if, if Air Force – Kind of gets off to a little bit of a slow start. Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, it just it happens, but also they'll blow away because they don't. Lafayette doesn't go up against that often with the that's, run option attack. And so that's true. That's also I mean, you know, the, too, you know the Leopards mean? they do have like you know Malik Ham, who was the aforementioned kind of All American caliber player. But you know, one guy can't can't create the havoc all on his own. And which is not to say that they don't have other veterans coming back. You know, they have, you know, Ian Grayson up front at, at, at the nose, who I would imagine is going to get a lot of attention from a, from a rebuilt Air Force Falcons offensive line. And I guess, you know, if there's one thing I want to see, speaking of the offensive line, you've got five new starters, full-time starters up front. Yeah. You know, how well are they going to mesh together? How often is, is Calhoun going to, you know, rotate guys in on that side of the ball too? Exactly. Also, you see the new change at running back, fullback, and tailback. All those uh, switch ups. So I guess Brad Roberts is a fullback after all this year. He is going to be listed as a starting fullback, mm-hmm. <laughs> putting Amara Fada at number two, and then Jordan Gidry to number one tailback. Which I guess you want your best two guys out there, right? To run the yeah, ball. Gidry's an interesting guy too. You know, he's he was a guy who was a very highly touted recruit as far as Air Force recruits go. Um, you know, we saw a limited playing time last year. He didn't really do much with the opportunities that he had. But it's it's kind of interesting to me that you know he's the guy who emerged at the top of that pile. That means they think he's going to play a really important role for them in 2021. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he does. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't think you have anything to do with it with the offensive line too, all that stuff. So yeah. Anything else about this team? Like this is gonna be a blowout, right? It's gonna be probably a twenty point victory, just about. If if, uh, if SP plus is any indication, they do favor the Falcons. Um, they favor them by thirty seven point three. Wow. Ninety eight percent one probability. It's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be a blowout for the Falcons. You would think um, if it's a thirty seven point victory, it'd be more than ninety percent. I'm gonna say thirty eight to three. Um. I'll go 41 10. They'll get a touchdown. All right. They're going to be nice and say, come on in, guys. Come enjoy this uh, turf here past the gold line. <laughs> All right. Next game we have is a Montana State at Wyoming. Mountainless Network game, 2 p.m. local time. Did you know, which we already mentioned, Montana State, we, people know Montana, Montana State, right? The Bobcats are usually a pretty good FCS team. That is correct. They did not play last year, spring or fall. They are number 12. In the current rankings for the pre, I guess preseason, whatever you want to call it, FCS coaches, NCA.com poll, whatever. So they're a team that if probably go to Hero Sports is probably listed as one of the potential upset games just because they're ranked highly enough and they're going to give Wyoming some challenge just because Wyoming is a team that, they're, well, I don't know why they give them challenges just because they're ranked, they're ranked top 15 team. But for Wyoming, let me ask you if I'm incorrect. We mentioned our DMs we saw. The starting quarterback, Sean Chambers, was it he named like a month ago? Or why did we think that's the case? Because last week they officially named him the starter. Did we just project he was going to be the guy? Or was there something during the summer where he's like – You're more... thinking there might have been like a Mandela effect or something? Something. But I, I, am I, am I daydreaming that? Or was it him officially finally last sworn, week? I could have sworn they had said that in the spring. That's what I thought too. Maybe it was like number one going to the fall camp. One of those, those word trickerations type of things to twist it. Like he's our number one guy going to the fall camp. Doesn't mean things could change and he's not our starter or he is our starter. So, but regardless, it's Sean Chambers. Uh, we want to see the offense, right? What is new OC going to do? Pulse going to do? They said they want to throw the ball. Do we believe them? Are they going to show anything because they're playing SCS team? Are they going to save it before they play uh, actual FBS or better opponent next week? I'm I'm very curious about what the offense will be because we know what Xavier Valade can do. We've seen Sean Chambers can give stiff arms to Purdue players or whoever Big Ten or whoever they're playing. They give stiff arms to everybody. They run the ball. I want to see what to do because they have. Here's the thing: their game they have Montana State. They go to NIU, who was winless last year, but usually not a pushover. Then they host Ball State, which would be pretty good. And then like they go to UConn, like they don't really have a challenge for a couple weeks. So what are we really going to see from this team? Are they just going to play to win and hold it all before they host Ball State, or even get to league play going to Air Force in like in October? I mean, I would imagine they're going to they're going to play to win because Montana State is a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of that is going to come down to what exactly we're going to see from Sean Chambers, because, you know, like we already know what he can do as a runner. And, you know, the indication, you know, just based off of the fact that, you know, pretty much everybody who was a starter last year is is back in the fold. You know, you mentioned Valaday. They also bring back, you know, I had never heard Trayton Welch, uh, you know, Isaiah Nayer, Nayer, excuse me, as his primary receivers. So I want to see what they're going to do in the passing game. 
you know, like, are they going to, are they going to line up in a lot of 11 personnel and show that they can, you know, throw and run out of a, out of a tight formation? Or are they going to go with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of three wide receiver formations? I mean, just looking at the depth chart, it's sort of hard to forecast, but I would imagine that they're going to try and prove that they can be more diverse than they have been in years past. That's what they, that's what they slated to do. That's what they want to do. They're just, um, yeah, I, that's what I want to see happen because that's the unknown. If you know the defense is really good, you know the running game is really good. Like you mentioned, Sean Chambers can run the ball well passing. He hasn't had the, I won't, I'm not going to say he's not a good passer. He hasn't had the opportunities to be a good passer because typically runs and he's, he's been throwing what, 15 attempts a game or something very minimal. So that's what, that's kind of all I want to see in this game is what the offense is going to do for passing the ball and what Chambers can do if they really are going to open it up like Craig Bull said. And like Montana State was fourth in the coaches on the big sky, got a first place vote. So they're pretty good. So yeah, I think you're right that they're going to have to show at least a little bit what they want to do passing wise, at least formation wise. Maybe, maybe not all the plays, but. And they've got a lot of talent on defense too, the Bobcats do. So, you know, it's not like you know, they're just going to like give up or anything like that. You know, they've got like Amandre Williams, who's a, a quality pass rusher that, that that offensive line is going to have to attend to. They got Troy Anderson at the middle linebacker calling the shots. They brought in Trey Webb from San Jose State as a graduate transfer. So right. there's there's plenty for this Wyoming team to prove. And I think that's, you know, maybe not quite as true for the defense. Um, but, I mean, I think they're still going to have to prove that they can shut down uh, a Montana State offense that, ha- that has a lot of shades of what the Cowboys themselves like to do. Um, you know, because they have their tailback to Isaiah Afonso, who was you know, one of the better running backs anywhere on the FCS level a year ago. You know, yeah. between you know, he's probably going to get a lot of work. They also have a new starting quarterback in Matt McKay, who won the job over starter or incumbent starter, excuse me, Tucker Robig. So, yeah, it's just it's one of those situations where Wyoming is not going to want to take this team lightly because you know they might have it you know under new leadership. They might look a little different themselves on both sides of the ball, but they're going to be disciplined and they're going to, they're not going to be afraid of, of you know being on the road against what we all expect is going to be a pretty good Wyoming team. It is, but I still think Wyoming should win fairly easily. I mean, and I think they in, I think they will. I'm just saying it's it's not a team that's going to go in and like treat you know they're not going to get pushed around. No, it'll probably be somewhat close in the first half. Wyoming will kind of pull it away, maybe win by. A more than two touchdowns. But all I really want to see defense will be fine. They'll slow down Montana State just enough. We know who they have out there. Passing games what I really want to see. And they're going to win. So what do you, what do you have SP Plus with the projection is for this one? Yeah, so uh, SP Plus projects a pretty big Wyoming win. They favor them by 25.7. 93% win probability. What do you say? I think they're going to win pretty comfortably. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily think that they're that they're only going to hold the Bobcast to nine points like SP Plus does, um, but I think they'll come out. I think they're going to do what they want to do as far as like answering a lot of the most pressing questions. Um, I'm going to say Wyoming wins 38 to 13. You think they'll get 38 points? Yeah, I think it'll be. They'll just shut them down. They'll win. <laughs> As you say, 38. I'm going to go 35 to three. I think they're just going to shut them down. It's not going to be an issue. All touchdowns. All right. All right. Do we have the – is this a – I don't know. we got another big game here. Pac-12. we got Oregon Hustler. San Jose State at USC. This line has been ever shrinking. 
I mean, I actually made a legit wager a couple weeks ago. It was like 16 and a half for, stand- for USC. It's now down to 14, which is not good if that's your play. But it's uh, 3 p.m. to me, 2 p.m. local on the West Coast at the Coliseum. Again, Pactual Network, so get that channel however you get it. This game is going to be huge for, obviously, for San Jose State. They played last week for Southern Utah. Nick Starkle played well. He had that one pick six, but wasn't very good. The way they're going to win is him being extremely well passing the game, throwing to Isaiah Hamilton, everybody else. Because you, you mentioned, I mentioned in our, in our recap a couple days ago, they threw to, they, what, eight receivers had two catches or more? Something yeah. like that to the tight ends, receivers. That's what I think needs to be done to play USC. Like, the running game, Tyler Nevins, whatever, we'll see what can be done. But it seems, I'm, I'm not going to say it's going to be led by the offense, but I think with what USC has, like Cleveland Slovis and everything, they're going to need to score points to win this game. And it's going to be a tough challenge with what USC has in the front and their whole defense overall. But when you kind of start looking at this game, you want to see, because if Nick Starkle plays poorly, they're not going to win. However, if he plays, like, like to win this game, they have to be really good, obviously. But if he plays good, they still cannot win, obviously. But if he plays poor, there's no way that win this game is going to get that. They need him to play very well to have a chance to win. If he struggles, goes like 18 of 40 for like 250 and a touchdown, obviously they're going to lose. They have to have him be over 300 yards if there's a chance they're going to win this game. I mean, I think more importantly than that, the defense has to play it. They have to bring their best game because this is the best team that they played in a in a pretty you know in a hot minute, I guess you would say. But I think you're happy. But what that boils down to, in my opinion, frustrate Keaton Slovis. Yes, because when he is off his game, the rest of that offense can't really function at quite the same level, and. You know, they're bringing back, you know, Vivai Malapai, but he doesn't necessarily scare anybody as a runner. You know, he only averaged, you know, 4.4 yards per game last year. He, he can he can catch a little bit. You know, Keenan Christen, who I would imagine is probably the new primary backup, they can both catch a little bit. But that running game isn't going to scare you. It's the passing game that will between, you know, Slo- yeah. uh, between Slovis and then Drake London, who I can't remember if it was like Richard Johnson from Split Zone Duo said that he might be the best wide receiver in America. Last year, 33 catches, 502 yards. That's 15 yards <laughs> to catch, by the way. Um, good. You know, I think beyond him, there's a lot of question marks. Like, I think Brew McCoy, if I remember correctly, like something happened to him and he's not going to play in this game or something. I mean, I thought I saw something about it a while back. I apologize because I don't have a depth chart in front of me. Um, but, you know, it really comes down to, like, you know, how well you can shut down the passing game, which I think it's going to start up front by getting all-conference caliber type performances from your all-conference caliber players. And I'm thinking, you know, Viliami Pohoko, Cade Hall, if they could bring pressure from the edge, the more San Jose State can get pressure with four guys, the better off they're going to be in the long run. And whether that fourth guy is like someone from the outside, like Hadari Darden or Ali Matau, whether they just bring pressure right up the middle with Kyle Harmon or someone like that, the more they can do to make that secondary's life easier, the better off everybody will be. Because yeah, because you, know, you know, I would imagine that Nehemiah Shelton is going to be the guy who lines up opposite London more often than not. And you know, but you know, leaving him one on one in man coverage is that's that's a really tough ask. There is because I've mentioned I was on with the guys at Trojan Wire, their podcast with Matt Demick, and he's talking about so how does this work? Because that he said that was a concern for them. Like their offensive line a little, a little bit, 
Um, and I kind of mentioned, like, it's kind of what I talked about with the games last week, like the Pac-12 games, the big games you're playing, like Hawaii and stuff, which maybe this analysis is going to go down the drain because that was very bad, very bad pick. But defensively, they need to be aggressive. Like I said, if they want to get to Keevan's King Slovis back there, those two guys and others, like, they need to bring pressure early and often to make it disruptive so that, yeah, they maybe they bring four, five, six guys, they blitz a bunch early on or or bring pressure. Then at, if that works, then they can lower, re- reverse, revert that a little bit to have different looks where there's, like you mentioned, they're only bringing four guys, but it looks like they might have five or six or they're on their toes a little bit because they got beat up or a hit after the pass or a tip ball or a sack or something early on. Early on. I think that's aggressiveness. Whether it's four or not, they probably need to do more than four at the beginning. But if that works, then they can change their look. And then those guys who are doing well, because what are you going to do? Like, Kate Hall can go because anybody in the country out there, what he does. But Hoku, same thing. It's like, are they going to need to bring a tight ender, actually look a bit more to watch, put basically put more inventory or more resources against somebody on this defense that plays well, which will open it up for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately they can't play risky would bring six guys or bring the house every time when they think it's going to blitz. Start, no, because, start that. because USC is going to spread you out yeah. anyway. I don't think they're going to have many opportunities yeah. to do that. That's what I wanted to. There's that too. I remember a couple years ago when you, when it's Michael Pittman versus Utah, Slovis was like the third string guy and just let the youth because they just chucked the beat because they went one on one. But you're right. When they go three, four wide, they need to, whatever person they can bring, and say it's only five guys or six occasionally, but I think they need to, be creative and attack the quarterback early, so then they can go back and only do their typical defense where their four guys are attacking, and then occasionally they bring another guy because USC's already on their toes a bit. That's what I think success will bring. But you're right, when they bring out the receivers, maybe four, heck, maybe five occasionally, they're all typically in shotgun all the time, so that gives them an extra second or two to see who's open. But pressure is the key, and then if they get pressure early, go back to more of a standard defense and blitz when appropriate, not blitz just because you need to. I mean, and, and personally, I think that Tyler Nevins is going to be more important to the Spartans winning this game than Nick Starkle will be. Because when you look at the USC defense, you know, most of their, most of their highest impact players are on the back end of the defense. You know, they have Chris Steele, who, you know, like, like, you know, we mentioned with Michael Wright a minute ago, in the conversation is maybe the best cornerback in the Pac-12. You know, Drake Jan, excuse me, Drake Jackson at linebacker looks like he's, you know, maybe a future first round NFL draft pick. But up front, you know, they've got Nick Figaro, who, you know, had seven tackles for a loss and three and a half sacks in, in kind of the short season last year. But they don't have a lot of other guys up front who, who are at least, you know, proven entities. And so I think if I'm San Jose State, I want to be balanced in the same way that I showed I could be last week. I want to use my big physical running back to bully these guys. And, and keep them from focusing on, on teeing off on Starkle in the backfield. Because I think if, if Nevins can prove he can push a pile to extend a play or to just gain an extra yard or two every so often, I think that's the kind of like, you know, mental message that could get in USC's head later on if it's a close game. I think so too. Yeah. Cause like we saw what Nevins did last week. I know it's only last week, but last year he's on the trend of doing what he's done before. Yeah. Not that he'll get seven yards to carry. But having the confidence and putting his stats reasonably similar with not, like you said, not like a huge one huge game where anything else is like a 40 yard. He's still a little boom and bust that you mentioned. It wasn't like seven for for 50 with one run 41 yards. It wasn't yeah. that extreme. So that could be a thing as well. I hope because they need him to be that because what USC does so good, you mentioned all those guys who are out off the secondary, like they need 
tight end to come underneath and get a pass. They need to run the ball, get some swing stuff. So you're going up against still talented players, but not as talented. Like you're not asking Isaiah Hamilton to go one on one with their best receiver the entire game and come down with like eight for 100 yards and two scores. That's exactly. a big ask for him to do. One thing too, let me flip back over. I was doing some other research real quick. Do you see who, what USC's issues are at wide receiver at the moment? I mean, I know they have, I know they have London, and then beyond that, I know it's a bunch of question marks. Well, they're hoping to have this guy Gary Bryant back. He only played a little bit last year, but like an actual upperclassman type guy. Like he's out in COVID protocol, was injured during fall camp. They've had other, they have other players who sophomore transfers coming in. Um, like they have obviously Drake London, but. Well, like, I also know they brought in Katie Nixon from Colorado as well. Yeah, and Taj, Taj Hamlet, Washington, excuse me, he's coming in too. So it's a bunch of newish guys. And it's his Graham Hare offense, like you mentioned, like North Texas and stuff, and um, Texas Tech and all that, where he, no, he, was he, yeah, he's a North Texas prophet, wasn't he, Graham Hare? Uh, Never mind. Believe, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah, whatever. whatever. Regardless, his offense is like four or five wide. So if they're down one guy, an inexperienced guy who hasn't played a ton, it's a young group. That's just something I noted before. It's kind of what we were discussing. Saw some guys officially out, which yeah, he had seven catches last year, but it was on the but but was on the team for a while. So that's just an area where, like San Jose State secondary is pretty good, and King of Slovis can find who he wants. Going to guys are talented, going to get open, but that's just another area where they're down a guy here where it's going to take like USC's good. Like I remember last year, like they escaped versus Arizona State. It wasn't all that great last year. Like, all the hype was nothing. There's all hype and no substance for, for the Sun Devils last year. USC wasn't blowing teams out last season, really. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's the thing, too. Like, it won't take much. Well, it'll take a bit. But what I'm saying is it won't take, like, a complete catastrophe fall fall from grace or everything to go wrong for USC to not win this game. There could be a handful of things that go wrong where San Jose State can win this game. It's not going to take putting the Jackson dart at quarterback as a true freshman because he's a backup because Slovis goes out with an injury. It's not going to take a – scoop and score a pick six or a huge return from Mike Keller and Evans for a touchdown or something like that, or a 91-yard pass Isaiah Hamilton on blown coverage. It's not going to be lucky, not that there's a lucky, but like huge big plays. Mm-hmm. If the receivers aren't very good, they put pressure on the quarterback. That's something where a little bit of things here or there, like Nick Circle doesn't care. He's like, whatever, I can do this. I've played it in the SEC. i played all these different teams, played up against the Big 12, when, or not Big 12, but Texas A&M. I get us confused occasionally, still, even though it's been a decade. Uh-huh. But I think there's enough – if a few things go – it's not – basically what I'm saying, it's not going to take a full-on collapse from USC for San Jose State to maybe even win this game. I can see that. I don't – I don't think it's too far-fetched because the, the one thing that I mentioned the same Trojan wire is like the depth. I'm like, yeah, that's an issue because, like I mentioned the last game, the big Pac-12 game against Mountain West, if guys can get rest early and get subbed here and there, fourth quarter is going to be huge. So there could be sports in the game where, holy crap, USC goes out and scores – 14 straight points, like or 17 straight points, where and if that's a game over, they can't have that happen. They need to, they can't allow runs to occur against San Jose State. Yeah. All right. What's the projection here? What does SP plus and FBI say about this one? Okay, so both projections favor USC, as you might expect. Um, FE, FEI maybe not quite as uh, as big a margin as you would expect. They favor them by 12.9. Uh, SP plus a little more bullish on the Trojans. They favor USC by 23, which is a 91% win probability. Let me give you one last stat here. They beat Arizona 34 to 30 last year. Yeah. Just it. But then, but then again, they beat Utah 33, 17. They, but the defense, a lot of points like UCLA gave up 38 points. 
They did blow out Washington State reasonably on Utah, but they're just kind of not they're up and down at five and one, but they're still whatever. They were fine last year, nothing impressive. Um so what's your score projection for this one? Uh I mean, I think I like San Jose State to cover pretty easily. Even at fourteen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I'm going to take USC to win. I have the Trojans winning 31 to 21. Yeah, that's way under under 59 and a half. Mm-hmm. I, I think there might be a few more points, but I think it's going to cover regardless. I'm going to go 35 20, 27. Or no, no, excuse me, 35 24. It'll okay. be somewhat fun, somewhat close, but just out of reach for the Spartans. The next big game on FS1, a Pac-12 game not on the Pac-12 network. That's very nice to see. Nevada at Cal. It's a six seven thirty local kickoff. Are you surprised Cal's a three point home favorite versus Nevada? A little bit, yeah. So I'm guessing that hasn't changed much. No, I'm surprised. No, it's been it's been three three and a half like weeks. Is it just home field? Because that's all that typically is. Because Cal's with Justin Wilcox defense is usually pretty good. Offense has been something to desire to pass while since Jared Goff was there. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It really comes down to, I, I I I would suspect that it comes down to Vegas's belief in how much better Cal's offense could be in particular. Because it's important to keep in mind, you know, they weren't necessarily playing at full strength last year. Like they're they're starting running back missed most of the year. Um, you know, now he's back. He'll be sharing playing time with you know Damian Moore, and I'm referring to Christopher Brooks. I should, should have mentioned his name at the onset. But also, you know, Chase Garbers is back, and he's shown that he can play at least a little bit. Um, you know, they've got both of his leading receivers for a year ago back as well, Nico Remigio, Kakoa Crawford. So I think if I were to guess, I would say that the challenge for Nevada will be to show that you could you can contain what looks like could be like a, a competent, if not necessarily an elite offense, which – you know, given what they did last year, you know, even when some of their bigger stars were banged up, and I'm thinking primarily about Don Peterson in that regard, like they were, they, like they weren't necessarily a top shelf defense by any particular metric, but they also didn't have a lot of obvious hindrances either. And so I think it's that sort of bend but don't break, make a timely play here and there, you know, get contributions from a number of different guys. Um, you know, I think that's the kind of effort that I want to see. And I would imagine that's the kind of effort that, that um, Jay Norvell is going to want to see when his team is on the field against that Cal offense. Yeah, because I remember, like, look at the San Diego State game last year. I know what Lucas Johnson did in the first half was pretty good, so I keep bringing that up all the time. But Sonic Bassett's offense is amazing, and they kind of moved the ball pretty reasonably well, at least in over over two quarters in that game. Mm-hmm. Because if I recall, the running game wasn't amazing. It's mostly Lucas Johnson passing, they're running on his own, not like a Greg Bell type of situation where he's just running over them. And so that offense is just okay, and they did pretty good against that team. And if not for a couple of miscues, like Aztecs not getting interceptions or in the end zone, like they had to recover those balls that were turnovers they could have had, it would have been a different story. So I'm assuming Cal's offense is better than San Diego State. Or like overall, I should say. Like Aztecs running game, if it's good, it's good. We know. But you're right. Like Don Peterson hit COVID last year. He's going to step up and hopefully play better and have to worry about all that type of stuff, assuming he's fully recovered from that as, as is expected that he's going to come back and be one of them. Because, like, he's a huge guy, man. It takes, like, I'm looking at a picture on the Nevada sports that these two Utah State defenders look tiny against them, or offensive players. Like, his offensive lineman mm-hmm. looks, like, very small compared to him. And this receiver who's trying to block or do something looks, like, extremely small. And next to him as well, even more so. So, like, he's 
two-time all-conference player. Like, he's good. Like, he's a guy where – I don't think he's going to win, like, defensive player of the year, but he's the guy Cal has to focus on the most because he's going to take at least two guys. And like we always say, if you he may not put up numbers, but if he's double-teamed the whole game or can't break through, it's going to leave somebody else open to make a play. And that's probably what's going to happen. He'll break through, but he's such such a guy that front seven. Cal's going to have a tough time slowing him down. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would agree with that. Staying back here, come on, what else you got to say? He says he's pretty good. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I, but I think more importantly, you know, I wonder if maybe Vegas was also looking at the fact that Nevada at times last year got stymied by really good defenses. And, and typically that has been Cal's calling card. And even though they graduated a couple of their high impact players to the NFL, you know, they're still bringing back a, a handful of really, you know, really good, if not great defensive pieces. Like, you know, the linebacker duo of Cameron Good and Kuoni Deng is, is plenty good enough to clean up and, and keep, you know, for instance, Toa Tawa and Devontae Lee from, you know, averaging, you know, five, the five and a half yards per carry that they were averaging last year. Like if, if the defense up front can kind of hold the line, I think they're running like what a, a four, two, five, if I'm not mistaken, or a three, four, excuse me. Yeah. Um, you know, that front seven has a lot of dudes who can make a lot of big plays. And so I wonder like, you know, how is Nevada going to be able to, you know, how are they going to approach that where the, the strength of the defense is in the front center or front seven, excuse me. Like, are they going to adjust the defense to or adjust the attack to be able to get rid of the ball more quickly? And if, if that's the case, does that take Romeo Dubs out of the game as a, as a potential deep play threat or do they move him around uh, to try to get him the ball in space or something like that? Or does that responsibility default to someone like Elijah Cooks or Tory Horton? You know, or are they going to just throw to Cole Turner over the middle of the field and, and dare those linebackers to keep up with them? So, I mean, I think Nevada is going to have some decisions to make because I don't think moving the ball against this defense is going to be all that easy because it's, it's deep, it's experienced, and it's pretty good. Yeah. Who's your new DC? Because they lost Tim Bruder, but Justin Wilcox is a defensive guy. Oh, man, who so is the think... DC? I don't have that name in front of me. That's okay. It's just a new coach. It's a little bit here and there. But they're going to probably look like look what Hawaii did last year. Hawaii said, Dubs is not going deep. We'll just let you get 10 yards of catch, a pass, or 8 yards of pass every time. We're not going to give up that 50-yard play. So we'll see how that works out. They follow what Hawaii did, that scheme. But I think with Cooks being out there, that gives another element where the receiving group is better than last year. It's still that's be true. That's ball. true. So that's part of it as well, where they can – most teams are probably sitting on – or not Cooks, sorry, sitting on dubs the whole game. They still could have stopped. We see how many times he's doubled or close to being doubled and so cut, went up and caught the ball. Mm-hmm. Now bring in another player, bring in a more experienced Cole Turner, Cooks, assuming he's healthy. It's still going to be tough, but it just gives another option. Like they have four legit receiving threats. So we haven't mentioned Toa Tao can run the ball pretty well. I'm like he's he's out there too. So I think they have enough options to let's say the game's more like the Hawaii game, nothing deep over the top all that often. But they still have a number of different guys who can get the ball. I think they'll be fine and can move it enough. Like oh sorry, your dub doesn't have six catches for 140 yards and a touchdown. He has like five for 60 and a touchdown. You know what I mean? Like, who cares if Cooks has the same stat line? And they're not going 25 yards a catch. Cal's defensive like, coordinator, by the way, is Peter Sermon. Never heard of him. That's fine. He's, he's been on the staff for four years. Apparently, this was his uh, second year as a defensive coordinator. He was co-defensive coordinator last ah. year with Reuter. Okay, so that's good. The guy could him within helps out. So it's always a, something to look at, like Andy Alvarez no longer in Oregon. But I think Nevada, like, 
Cal's just not a team that scares anybody because offense, I won't believe it until I see it. So they might be there, might be better, but the only one concern I've, I've kept looking and couldn't find anything about Carson Strong's knee a little bit because he had that swelling and bleeding during fall mm-hmm. camp recently. But I see nothing about that being an issue. If that is an issue, I, I have a hard time seeing them win because they have their giant. Who's a six-man quarterback for um, Nevada? Cox. Nate Cox will be the Brock Osweiler quarterback because he's 6'9 quarterback. Nate Cox coming into play from Nevada. You'll hear that a million times if he does come into play. But that's my biggest concern is that knee is not fully healthy. That might be – that's a, something to think about who's going to win this game out. And that could matter because Nevada needs to – gets his defense play above average. And we haven't really seen Nate Cox play very often. And we know what Carson Strong could be. He's going to be a first-round draft pick in NFL next year. That's true. So what's the projection say for this one? Okay, so um, FEI likes Cal. Uh, they like him by about seven points. Uh, SP Plus uh, also favors Cal, not by quite as much, though. They favor the Golden Bears by 5.9. All right, my prediction. Over-under is reasonably low, 52.5. I think that's kind of low with a Nevada team on the field. I think it's going to be 30-17 to 17 for Nevada. I think it's going to be a little closer than that. Okay. But I do think the Wolfpack will pull it out. I got them winning 27 to 20. Good. That's, it's going to be a good game to watch. I think this will be a test for the Wolfpack. All right. Next game. Oh boy. This one will be a quick one. It's almost an FCS game, man. New Mexico State at, well, going to play San Diego State at Carson, California. <laughs> That's what we'll say. They're still not. Yeah. I, I saw some people on the Twitter timeline saying they were going to watch that UTEP New Mexico State, State game last year or last week. And all I could think of, all I could think of was that sickos meme that you see a lot of on Twitter. <laughs> yes. New Mexico are... State looks awful, man. So the line is 31 points. <sighs> over-unders, the over-under is only 51. Okay. That's weird because that means like you're probably expected to win like 41 to 10, essentially. Yeah. I, I don't know if San Diego State can win by that many points. I do. Even though, even I know you do. I see your pick. <laughs> even though New Mexico State is trash, New Mexico State your... made UTEP look like world beaters. Like the only reason have... UTEP, the only reason UTEP only won by twenty seven is because they took their break off, the, or they took their foot off the gas. The but like the, the okay, we're talking about the miners here, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. New Mexico State. So for, for anybody who didn't watch the game, I'm just going to throw some numbers out there for you, real quick. I did not watch the game, so speak to me. Um, 2.8 yards per play. Per play. Uh, not running play. Per play. Not, like, that's not UConn bad, but it's still pretty bad considering the competition. Um, their starting quarterback, Jonah Johnson, was 8 of 24 for 82 yards. Their backup quarterback, Weston Egit, was 1 for 9 for 7 yards. They're, uh, you know, they had zero sacks. They had five TFLs, which, you know, whatever in a game like that. You know, their, their running back duo, Juwan Price and Omari Samuels, you know, didn't even crack, they didn't even crack four yards to carry. If San Diego State doesn't cover this spread, I'm going to be shocked. So you're telling me I should have put money in San Diego State last week or two weeks ago? I did not. Apply Probably. I, I think I changed my pick. I didn't realize. I should have looked at it. I forgot they played last week. And so them, them losing by 27 to UTEP means this game's going to be like 40 to negative 15. Is that possible? I, honestly, yeah. And then so, so to, to me, what it really comes down to is like, you know, what, what do you want to most see out of the Aztecs in this game? To me, 
I want to see Jordan Brookshire get off to a really good start. And then see Lucas Johnson come in and play. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, basically, I, I want I want to see Brookshire validate to validate the decision to make him the starter because you know the talent that he has around him, and obviously Greg Bell is probably going to go off and and be sitting on the bench by the third quarter. But you know, around him, you know, Jesse Matthews, I want to see him go out and make a highlight catch or two, like he seems to do every other week. You know, I want to see them, you know, some of the other kind of secondary guys like you know, B.J. Busby, Elijah Koth, Ethan Dedeau. I just want to see that passing game be a little more functional than it looked most of last year. And against New Mexico State, it better be. You think so, right? It has to be. Yeah. Like, what is, does New Mexico State have anything to challenge? No. Anything? No. No. <laughs> Not no, we're gonna, and we're gonna and we're we're gonna be we're gonna say that like six more times after this. And twice when they play Hawaii. That's why I said six more times. Yeah, well, I, mean, I I make sure people know they play Hawaii twice. Not everybody, yeah. not everybody may know that. Yeah, uh, this, this, this game this game is gonna be for the hardcore fans only. Did we mention it was on CBS Sports Network? You mean the home of the state against the Aztec football That's team? That's correct. <laughs> it's uh, what seven thirty local kickoff, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, it's a seven thirty local, uh, eight thirty. Yeah. So yeah, it's the as I always say, the home of CBS Sports Network is Aztec football. Um, I'm going to change my picks. I did put um, San Diego State to cover. I mean, New Mexico State. I'm going to change that to San Diego State to cover because yeah, and just to kind of to kind of drive that point home. Oh. Um, what's the, what's the range? So both both projections project a big Aztec victory. Um, FBI favors the Aztecs by twenty six point eight. SP plus favors them by 35.8, which is a 98% win probability. 49 to nothing. You're going to say shut out. If they don't You're get gonna... shut out, I'm going to be gravely disappointed in the Aztecs defense. I don't know what I'm worse. I'm 49 points. What's not saying they scored 49 points? I know you don't have it probably, but, uh, oh man. Here's why I'm concerned it may not be that big deal, big blob. We've seen San Jose play these lesser teams like SCS teams and struggle and win like, 21 to 3. I see that. I think they have the talent on board to get off to a better start than they've seen, than they've shown in that kind of situation in the past. I'll just go 35 to 3. I'll give the the Aggies some points. 35 to 3. So next game, is it Utah State, Washington State? That is correct. On the road, Pac 12 Network, freaking 8 o'clock kickoff in Wazoo up there in Pullman. Um, that's a lot of points for a team that has a has a weird coach, doesn't really know who their quarterback's going to be, and a team that's projected to pick finish last in the Pac-12 North. So they're not the only team that doesn't know who their quarterback's going to be. Oh, we have to get to this right away. We talked about it with UNLV, so I think it's only fair to talk about it with Utah State. How concerned no. are you that Logan Bonner isn't just the guy? I think Blake Anderson's a big fat liar. Oh, you think so? Oh, Andrew Peasley, who barely played last year under terrible circumstances, is going to be your starter quarterback. Logan Bonner doesn't transfer, unless there's an injury involved, he doesn't transfer the Falls coach to be a backup. He is starting this game, and he'll play the entire game as quarterback. Okay. Unless there's an injury we don't know about, it's Logan Bonner, and it's not even close. However, well, no, I shouldn't say he played the whole game. I, I forgot about the second half what Blake Anderson said. But he might rotate quarterbacks as well, he said. So I think I do think he's lying that Logan Bonner is not a starter. 
But or it, yeah, it is not a starter. But he like what coach? Okay, if you're if you're a college football coach and you're paid a lot of money to make decisions, do you care what's fair or not fair? No. Okay. Here's the quote. At the same time, we're just trying to be to be just as fair with Peasley as we are with Logan Bonner because Peasley had this phenomenal spring. Basically, he had a great spring, great summer. Not just a quarterback, just a player I've been around for. He's worked so hard to show these improvements he's made. No, that's not your no, that's not your quarterback. Who who cares if they're a nice guy off the field? You do care, but you know they're getting that typically. I do. If they're this, I'm not saying bad, but you know my point. Like he's improved, he played well because Bonner wasn't there during that time. It is just like the University of Utah, where I could have projected when Charlie Brewer from Baylor elected to go to Utah, he's a starting quarterback six months ago. Like everybody saw this coming. Like it's not a this is not a shock. And Logan Bonner will be the starting quarterback. Coach Anderson is trying to be just uh, stupid coaches thinking they have the most secrets in the world and they can't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I know there was a foot thing with Logan Bonner, but that's the only reason I think he would have played. That's the only reason he would not if there was an injury up front. Because depth charts is or. So that's my biggest concern. If that him being hurt and can't start. But if he's if it's not injury related, which He's been practicing all fall camp, so it's like he's out there throwing the ball and doing stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's bother. It's no question to ask. Okay. It's a big fat liar. That's what it is. <laughs> so then what do you think what do you think is the thing that is most likely to make or break this game for Utah State? Um we saw it happen last year for every game. The weird thing about last year was that they'd have like a good first quarter and then just fall apart. Um to make a break, part of the Washington State quarterback situation is not super clear either. And, but we know what Nick Rolovich wants to do. He wants to throw the ball around four or five receivers. Utah State has some defenders. I think it's going to be what their offense can do because Blake Anderson, Arkansas State, they move the ball pretty well. They've had good offensive players. Um, but it's going to be more like they've just been rice back in and not less. Like, is he going to, what is he going to do? They have AJ Vonkachal out there playing defense for Utah State. Defense will be okay. That'll be an issue just how many DBs they have. But Utah State's offense was so bad. They had Devonta Henry Cole, who finally gets a full spring and off and off season and fall camp after bounced around to BYU, Utah, then Utah State right before the season started. So I want to see what the running game can provide. So in Washington State, like their defense doesn't do anything special either. We have seen all those shootouts. Like how many games where they win like fifty-one to forty-eight or something, or they they they're their offense scores forty plus and they lose because the defense can't hold. So this is an opportunity for Utah State to score some points. Now, see, I think this is a big opportunity for Utah State's secondary in particular because they got picked on a lot last year. Yes, you know, they, in, in the short season, they gave up a 67.7% completion rate. Just don't forget that. You know, the, they gave up over eight yards in attempt. They were only one of four Mountain West teams to do that. The other three were UNLV, Colorado State, and New Mexico. And they only they only beat the Lobos in terms of like opponents passer rating, and I, I look at that unit, and I see that you know they've got pretty much all four of their starters coming back, you know if in, you know if you want to include uh, Cash Gilliam at the kind of the star position or whatever they're calling it, um, you know they have Zerody Jackson back, Shaq Bond is back, Dominic Tatum is back, Cam Lampkin is back, Andre Grayson, all of those guys, it's going to be all hands on deck against a. Washington State team, like you mentioned, like they don't know who their quarterback is going to be, really. Like they're kind of playing it safe or, or kind of playing their cards close to the vest with Jared Guarantano and, and Jaden Delora. 
But they yeah. also have a couple of kind of unexpected guys atop the depth chart wide receivers, too. So, like, one of them is true freshman Deshaun Stribling, won a starting job at the, uh, at the I guess what they're calling the X position. Um, and then they also have sophomore Donovan Ollie, who won another starting job, you know, 6'3", 210. You know, combined with the the kind of the, the more veteran tandem of Calvin Jackson Jr. and Travell Harris, you know, those cornerbacks in particular, whether they're playing inside or outside, this game is going to be made on how well they hold up in coverage. Yeah, and I, I think, agree. you know, to your point about Justin Rice and, and Bong Pachon, I think their primary responsibility is they got to shut down Max Borgie. Because, you know, the run and shoot offense is never going to be one that, that prioritizes running the ball a lot. But Borgie's already proven in the past that he can run a little bit. And we already know that he can he can catch passes out of the backfield as well. He's like one of the better, you know, pass-catching running backs anywhere in the country. And so those linebackers are really going to have to clean up and play sideline to sideline. And, and be able to kind of force the Cougars into more, you know, more strenuous kind of third, third down situations or kind of those money down situations. Like if it's third and four, it's going to be a much worse position for Utah State to be in than if they force them to start at like third and seven or third and eight or something like that. Like the more often they can do that, the better their odds of pulling an upset become. Yeah. Cause we know they're going to throw, but if it's third, yeah, if it's long situations, that's, uh, but, Dude, 67% number scary. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how much they're going to be able to count on Rice and Von Pachon to create pressure. So it's going to be incumbent on the back end to hold up yeah. in coverage, and it's going to be incumbent on the guys up front, you know, whether it's the veteran guys like Nick Henninger or Marcus Moore, or whether it's kind of the new arrival who won a starting job like Patrick Joyner Jr. Those guys are going to have to play up too and, and put pressure on whoever's under center to kind of keep that offense from getting ahead of steam. Yeah, they're just reference 121 out of 128 in passing defense last year, percentage-wise. There you go. And what did Washington State complete? Probably 65% of their passes, at least. It was something like that, yeah. <laughs> something sure. I think, but they but they might need to have Bryce and Bockwich on, like, have them be leaned open, vacant a little bit, just get after them as quickly as they can occasionally. Because mm. What are you going to do? Just drop back and sit in the middle? Washington State want to go down the field. Like having them kind of cover a tight end or play zone or cover this inside receiver, I think they need to bring pressure occasionally just to get after them with with five guys or even yeah. six guys every now and then. Like they're going to have to, but I get the whole game. Your point's clearly valid. Like they can't do that the entire game, but they're going to have to, they're not going to be as effective as if they're playing a team that is more pro set or even, I mean, just not four or five wide every time. So you want the projections? I, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so again, both of them favor Washington State. Um, FEI favors the Cougars by 12.1. SP Plus favors them by 21.2. That's an 89% win probability. What's your score projection? Uh, I mean, I think I think just it's going to have a hard time keeping up. To be honest, I, I think, think so. I don't know that it's going to be quite as high scoring as some other people might think it is. But I do have the Cougars winning pretty comfortably. I have them winning 34-21. to 21. Yeah, I think it'll be within that 16.5. I would also remind people, this is one of my stupid upsets, bold picks Utah State can win. Mm-hmm. I'm, not taking, I'm not taking the win, but I don't think it was like the quarterback issues and the Washington State and other, th- other stuff. I think it'll be a little bit lower. Like, I'm in line with you. Like, it may not even crack 55 points overall because it's 67. I think it might be like 31-21 where Utah State can score a few points here and there. So that's why I think it'll be sort of close, but 
not all that close. You don't need. All right, Portland State, Hawaii. Late game. What's this? Uh, eight o'clock Pacific time or nine o'clock Pacific time? Six o'clock mm-hmm. Hawaii. If you're in the islands, it's on freaking Spectrum Spectrum Sports. You got to pay what seventy dollars to watch this game or something. Thank you. Whatever yeah. the pay per view cost is. However, on the mainland, you'd like to watch the Team One Sports app. However, yeah, we, another copy it. When we put our we preview cannot, up, we will be sure to we will be sure to put link. the link in to download the app. It's FYI, you cannot put this on your TV apparently. Yeah. So only you can work around it, like you could maybe mirror your screen and open the app possibly, but it's laptop, tablet, and computer and cell phone or mobile phone only. So beware of that if you're trying to see Shavon Cordero, who's like ant size on your iPhone 10 or number. So mm-hmm. just prepare for that. So this game, Portland State making the trip, Hawaii is uh, hoping, fingers crossed, they learned some lessons from getting the butt kicked with UCLA last weekend. It was 44 to 10 loss. What do you want to see? Like, what was the big thing that they need to improve from week zero to week one? Like, is it their, is everything? They, they got to protect Siobhan Cordero. Okay, that's your big thing? Not only get sacked a couple times? Yeah, and, and Portland Pressure. State, you know, they've, they've got some guys who could create some headaches. Um, you know, Noah Yunker, Parker McKenna, that middle linebacker, guys like that. But they don't have like a ton of pieces who scare you. Like they're, they're sort of maybe, uh, slightly worse than like a Lafayette we talked about a little bit ago. And so I think this is a really good opportunity for Hawaii to kind of just get right in that regard. You know, reestablish the running game, you know, get the ball in Calvin Turner's hands. Like you mentioned in, in our week zero pre, uh, recap. I don't think they got involved nearly enough either. And so I think, you know, just kind of tinkering with the offense to get it closer to where you want to be as, as things kind of ramp up again in non-conference play. Yeah. That's, I think, the, the one thing I want to see the most. Yeah, him getting – can he get one carry at least, Matt? Can we get Calvin Turner one carry? Yeah. It's five for 50. There, you're right. Taking the quarterback, big deal. Getting Calvin Turner involved more. Getting – for me, it's that plus the defense. Like, defense is just garbage. We thought defense with Dele Cruz would be pretty good. There's all the starters there returning. We kind of thought that would be an area of, uh, especially for some of the games last year, we saw how the scheme was and how they played. Like I was saying, this is an underrated defense, and then they get blown up by UCLA. I think this will be a game where they're going to turn a 180, and everything's going to go reasonably and fairly well. And But there will still be questions because it was freaking Portland State. So that's, yeah, I mean, I think you know the Portland State doesn't necessarily scare you a lot on offense either. Like they've got a they've got a veteran quarterback who's pretty solid. You know, he, he, you know, showed a little bit when they played Boise State a couple of years ago, Davis Alexander. But I believe they have a new starter at running back in Malik Walker. Um, and, and they don't really have that many kind of big passing weapons that will scare you. Um, you know, Bo Kelly was, you know, 31 catches, 442 yards and three touchdowns a couple of years ago. But, you know, other than that, you know, they, they might be able to do, you know, make a, you know, connect on a couple of big plays. I just don't see them staying competitive for very long. No, it might be a game where the first half is kind of interesting because Hawaii, until they prove me otherwise after one week, I want to. I'm not sure what to expect if they're going to go up 20-0 or be 17 to 10 and a half. Yeah, and I would I would hope to think it'd be the latter where the offense moves the ball, protects Cordero, figures out what they want to do running the game because that's a big thing too. Running was D.D. Hunter was nothing. He was garbage. He was trash. They need to find a runner. I think that was more on the offensive line than it was on. And, and yeah. the other thing that came, the other thing that came out too, I don't know if you saw it, but there was like a ton of people who were in COVID protocol leading up to the UCLA game as well. 
Oh, I must have missed that. Apologies. Yeah, I mean, it, it came out after the fact, which you know, the, oh, okay. the, the kind of thing that it's the kind of thing that makes you think, well, wow, if we'd known about that sooner, we might have uh, changed our tune. But I think it was, you know, this was from uh, Alan Hoshida uh, from Kahan. It was the defensive line in particular. Eight defensive linemen were in COVID protocols leading up to the game. That's not good. Eight? You said eight? Yeah, which is yeah, that's basically the entire starting two deep. <laughs> Um, so I would imagine they're going to look a little bit better on that front, which is, you know, I'm, I would expect they would be because you know, Portland State has some players. They aren't terribly explosive. So Hawaii's going to be in position to keep it that way. And that makes total sense, yeah. Um, if they're and, healthy, and if, they're going to win. It's not an issue. But I just want to see them obviously show better and do things. Yeah, if SB Plus is in the, any indication, they favor Hawaii by 38. 38? 99% win probability. What do you uh, what do you say? Thirty zero for your score? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, honestly, yeah, I think they'll win big. I'm going to say like forty one to seven. I'll go thirty eight ten. I'll be very confident, but I'll get a couple points. All right then. So we'll see how this game goes. So that's all of our games this week. If you get this before Thursday afternoon, you can listen to our first half where we talk about Boise State Central Florida. The rest of the other Mountain West games, which are all FCS, FBS, I believe, on Thursday. Okay, New Mexico get a three-game winning streak, but winning streak, that's a big deal, too, if they can get that third game after winning two last year. But that's it for this show, mwire.com. Check us out, all the previews, Q&As. I'm working on a couple of those. Matt's got a lot of previews coming out. We'll have more stuff this week. But, yeah, if you like the show, let people know. Subscribe, all that fun stuff that people say at this point of the show. And we'll be Twitter, MWC Wire, Thursday, Friday, all day Saturday. But uh, particularly Thursday at UCF. Oh, also, if you're listening to us in time, our boy Raj is out in Boise State is going to the UCF game right now. And he found a very practical Mexican place across the street called Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's Taco Bell Cantina. Very important yeah, distinction. Yeah, where you can get alcohol there, right? Is that correct? Is that how yes, it works? that is correct. I've seen, seen a couple of those. So I guess you need alcohol to have a bunch of Taco Bell. I don't know. Um, I will say nacho fries are always good no matter what, so I don't care. You can judge me, Matt, if you'd like. Huh. Hey, I'm just saying. Have you had them? Have you had the nacho fries? I have not. You should give them a try. They're good. They're good French fries. So, but that's we'll end the show there on that, and we'll be back Sunday at some point to recap twelve games. We'll try to make it under two hours for it. Definitely under two hours. Yeah. Twelve games. But, nah, we'll we'll be good. All right, we'll see you again, guys. Everybody. So, till Sunday.